And welcome in. My name is Brendan Schaefer. I'm here today with Zach Gifford, and we're going to do a little bit of baseball talk. The Cardinals are one week into the 2017 season. It's been a little bit of a rough week, probably plenty of talking points. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get things started. I'll welcome in Zach. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Uh, it's good to hear your voice. I've seen you on Twitter uh, all around the last few months, but I've never actually heard you speak or talk to you, so it's good to finally have the chance to do that. Uh, and I just wanted to get some of your first impressions from the first week of Cardinal baseball. Obviously, the team goes 2-4. and four. Uh, They lose a series to the Cubs, and they lose a series to the Reds. Uh, we could start just about anywhere, but I'll go ahead and start here with just what was your biggest takeaway from the first week of action so far? And we'll, we'll just kind of take it from there. Right. I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was probably the starting pitching. I think through the first turnaround, they had like a 1.7, 1.75 ERA, which obviously that's probably not something that's going to be sustained for long-term. But that was the biggest question mark heading into the season was how those guys would fare, um, you know, early on in the year and then throughout the whole year. Obviously, with a guy like Michael Walker, he looked great to start out. Injuries are always going to be a concern. Um, so, see, like, writing that out over a larger sample is going to be important. But they, it seemed like they kind of came out and answered the bell a little bit in that first week. The problem, uh, obviously, was the offense, which – I really thought was going to be the team's strongest point still this year. They were going to do it in a different way. It was going to be more of a kind of station-to-station, on-base machine with Dexter Fowler at the top, um, then Diaz, Carpenter, and I thought for the most part it was going to be Piscotti, but that's obviously changed a little bit. Um, So I've been disappointed in that. I looked into it a little bit yesterday. And by average exit velocity, the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in the league, which right now some of the data isn't totally reliable, but it's not good to see yourself down at the bottom of that. And I also remember, I think it was, uh, I forget where I saw it, it was somewhere on Twitter, but that somebody was looking at the spring training stats, and the Cardinals were one of the worst teams by OPS in spring training, so even though they had a good record, the offense wasn't really there all spring, which wasn't something that I noticed because they were winning the games in spring. But now that they've kind of gotten off to a slow start, I think that's you know becoming more of a visible problem for most people. And we talk about it a lot. The spring, the spring training stats really don't mean that much. But when you see, like you mentioned, the struggles to hit in spring – Those have kind of carried over now to the start of the season where really the only game that you felt good about what the Cardinals were able to do offensively was the game they hung 10 on Cincinnati. But you look in their losses, you know, we can talk about the defense and and the bullpens had its issues as well. You mentioned good starting pitching, but in the losses the Cardinals have had, I think they've scored something like one run, four runs, and then consecutive shutouts to the Reds. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you're talking about Amir Garrett, who is making his major league debut, and Scott Feldman who you, you shouldn't get shut out by Scott Feldman. So the the, the offense is definitely something that, that's concerning. Uh, I want to jump a little bit more on the starting pitching before we get to some of those other topics. Uh, we dove into offense just a little bit there, but you talked about the impressions from the rotation. Obviously, the first time through, very good. Uh, Martinez had some issues maybe a little bit yesterday, uh, 
but uh, of the guys who had those good starts in the first week, who are you really looking to to be able to continue that for a full season? You know, obviously Martinez, but of the other guys, who do you like to really rise above expectation? Um, I think Michael Waka probably has the second highest ceiling of the remaining four. I obviously Adam Wainwright's been the best in the past, but I think those days are behind him. And I think a good season out of Wainwright's going to be kind of a number three type starter. Uh, so Waka would be the one. If he, if he can stay healthy, he definitely can be kind of a high-end number two guy. And one thing that uh, Joe Schwartz noticed, and I looked into um, a little bit since he since he pointed out, but Michael Waka threw a few sinkers in his first start against the Reds. And for a guy that's a, really dependent on the fastball changeup, getting a pitch that kind of mirrors – um, the trajectory of his changeup, like a sinker does, is going to be a big development for him because you go from just having, you know, basically two pitches to having a, at least a third to offset. Because, I mean, he, he throws a cutter and he throws a curveball, but the cutter's been pretty bad for the last couple of seasons. His curveball's a work in progress. A sinker should be relatively easy for him to start throwing, and it should really help his changeup, uh, I think, play up a little better and hopefully get back to being kind of the deceptive um, out pitch that it was when he first came up before people started to get used to his repertoire a little bit. Um, and for uh, Sorry to cut you off there, but for, for Cardinal fans and baseball fans who don't know you, don't know Zach, he's going to use words like exit velocity and trajectory because this guy, he's into the analytics, and so if you want to kind of – get a better idea of that kind of thing. He knows the analytics much better than I could could hope to, so uh, that's why I want to talk to a guy like Zach to get that kind of insight. But no, go ahead and carry on with that, uh, the thought process. I don't want to throw you off too far. Oh, no worries. Um, Mike Leak, I was pleasantly surprised by what he did because I think it was talked about all offseason that his peripherals were better than his, you know, his ERA um, would have suggested to Kind of seemed like he underperformed the way he was pitching, which and a lot of accounted to the defense, perhaps. Right. A lot of people thought, right? A lot of people accounted that to the defense. So it was nice to see him come out and have a strong outing. And I don't know whether we're really going to see a better defense behind him. I think, you know, if Colton Wong can get consistent playing time, if you know Jed Jerko and Johnny Frost can be decent at third, we'll have a better defense. But there's been no indication that that's going to be a thing we see consistently. So it was nice to see Lee kind of pick up where he was last year. He had a pretty strong spring, I think minus one start. Um, he's basically a fastball guy. He's going to throw, I think, four seamers, a sinker, and a cutter. And so he really relies on being able to induce weak contact more than missing bats. And I think he did that pretty well in his first start. Um, this is against... Did he have the first start against the Reds, right? Yeah, he was game four of the season against Cincinnati. He went eight innings, allowed just one run on six hits. And, that, and, and I mean, when you, when you can be as efficient as Mike Leak was in that start, granted it was against the Reds, but you, you still have to be encouraged about where his season might go. I agreed with what you said about Michael Waka probably having the number two ceiling on the Cardinals this season out of the starting rotation, but... I'm really interested to see what Leak can do and, and how much better his numbers can be 
over last season, even if, like you mentioned, the defense doesn't take that next step that it, it was supposed to. Right. And for his career, you know, he's been a pretty solid number three guy. And I think with a little bit more kind of confidence in what he's doing, um, fine-tuning, working with Yair Molina is, you know, the best catcher he's worked with. I would, I wouldn't uh, be, I don't think I'm out of, out of line saying that. So I think it'll be a, you know, a good second season for him. It'll be, we'll have to see how he adjusts to what happened last year. But just looking at his first start, it looks like the, the MO again was inducing weak contact. He didn't strike out a ton of batters. He didn't walk, I think maybe one or one guy maybe. Um, so that, that's a really positive start for him. So hopefully something he can build on, get some confidence going early in the year because he could be a big plus if he can pitch like a number three instead of just an innings eating number four or number five. Absolutely. And so, like we mentioned, the starting pitching, definitely the bright spot of the first week. Adam Wainwright will get his chance against the Nationals tonight to follow up his first outing, which was a solid one. But let's take a little bit of a transition from the starting rotation and talk about the bullpen, which has not been as good throughout the first week. The home runs have really been the, the most alarming factor to me. You saw Brett Cecil give one up. Someone O has given up a couple. Broxton got tagged for one. Segrist and Tui Valala, who has been optioned now to AAA Memphis, so he doesn't really count. But the other guys in that bullpen that have been giving up home runs and runs in the first week, what's your level of concern looking at the bullpen right now? I wouldn't freak out over the sample size we've had because we saw last year that a guy like O was really good, even kind of as hitters were starting to get a thicker scouting report on him as the season went on. And Brett Cecil had a little bit of a down year last year, but part of that was due to injury. And the three years before that, he was solid. But that said, it is concerning the way that they've started the season. You did, I mean, we all hear about reliever volatility, and you know sometimes we just kind of revert to that as uh, kind of a way just to explain what we can't necessarily, but as of right now, I think someone has been, yeah, if you just look at wins above replacement, which isn't something you should do through, you know, a week yeah, of games. After six games, that's kind of a tough stat. But right, but he is the it. worst in the majors right now. And I believe um, that, yeah. And he, he's somehow managed to be half a win below replacement in in two appearances. So, and, and we know one of those games that he pitched in, that was already a blowout, so... The home right. run he gave up then really didn't matter, but the other one was the three-run shot uh, on opening night, I believe it was. So that that certainly is not going right. to bode very well for those stats. No, and opening night he wasn't helped out by a play at first base, um, but it does seem he's not missing bats like he did last year. That was one thing. He he doesn't have exceptional velocity. Um, his slider is good, but, it, I mean, it's not like – I don't think anybody would call it one of the best sliders in baseball, but somehow last year he was able to miss a lot of bats. And I guess I just worry that after, you know, getting a full season and being able to watch his tape and see his tendencies that maybe teams will have a better read on him this year. I think, you know, last year his ERA was under two. I don't think that's something that is really repeatable for anybody that's not Clayton Kershaw or Andrew Miller. Um, so hopefully, you know, he can kind of settle in uh, and be just a consistent guy at the back end of the bullpen. We're not asking him necessarily to be elite. He just needs 
to shut down the games that he needs to, that the Cardinals are winning in the ninth inning. I mean, that's how he's going to be deployed. And if he can do that, there won't be any problems if he, you know, consistently is giving up three-run leads or, you know, getting hit out of the park every other time out, then we have a little bit more of a concern. But like, like we said, through one week, I would trust, you know, the body work that these guys showed last year and for some a guy like Brett Cecil, what he's shown over the last three or four years as opposed to what we saw in week one. But it, it is concerning, and it's not, it's not how you want him to start the season. And, and you, you mentioned, too, regarding O, the play in o, on opening night that Carpenter didn't make it first. He tried to do a little too much by throwing the ball to second to start a double play, potentially, uh, but then realized he didn't have time, and then they couldn't get Jason Hayward at first, and so they ended up with no out. But in that eighth inning, O ended up getting out of the jam, and so my next question is kind of related to what the expectations for O will be, whether he stays closer all season. We've seen Trevor Rosenthal uh, very infrequently in spring training due to his injury. He's over the injury. The lat concern now uh, supposedly is all taken care of, and he's back with the Cardinals on the Major League roster. I mentioned Tui Valala was sent back to Memphis. Just the way that these two pitchers uh, align themselves and the way they their game – which one do you think is actually better suited to being a closer? And do you think one might have a better suit toward being that late innings guy that comes in and maybe an Andrew Miller role to try to put out the flames? You know, there's already runners on base when this guy comes in, whereas the other guy might be better suited for a fresh inning. Cause that's kind of how I feel with Rosenthal, where I don't know if he's that guy that you want to bring him in with the bases loaded and one out, right. but we've seen that O can maybe be that guy. He did it last year at times before he had to transition to the closer role. And so I'm curious that if both guys are healthy and say thriving would the Cardinals be better suited, maybe to put Rosenthal as the closer at some point with O coming in in that fireman role. I think it's, Definitely a possibility that they should look into. Um, the one thing about O is that he's been, I think, more consistent looking at his Korean and Japanese stats. He's been, his kept his walks per nine down around two, whereas a guy like Rosenthal we've seen. Oh, don't even say the number. We don't even want to know it. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> we it, know it, that it, he has struggled with, cons- with, with control at times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so... It, it kind of depends. I think Rosenthal has a higher ceiling when he's on, and when he is feel, when he is right, he does have pretty good command. And back in 2013, before um, he was the closer, he you know struck out almost 13 batters per nine and walked about two and a half batters per nine, which is a, which is a really good ratio. And so, you know, if he's on and he's like that, then I'm comfortable deploying him in whatever role that the Cardinals need to fill. If it's you know, right now, before he kind of earns that trust back, I wouldn't want to be bringing him in with, you know, guys on base or, you know, him coming in with guys already on first and second and walking the first batter makes, you know, an already bad situation a lot worse. And so I would want to see him prove himself a little bit more before I trusted him in high leverage situations. The problem right now is that the Cardinals don't really have a guy, I think, that they feel like they can turn to in those situations. Right now, I mean, we saw this last week, I think Matt Bowman was the guy warming up uh, when Carlos Martinez was starting to get into trouble against the Reds. And no offense to Matt Bowman, he's very good, but he's not 
an elite reliever. He's a good ground ball guy, and you know, hopefully at his best he can be a lot like Seth Maines was and get out of jams that way, but he's not the guy that you want to be counting on to put out fires. So that's where I think you know they might Mike Matheny's hand might be forced a little bit in those bullpen roles. It's just that you got to play the guys with that have the higher upside in the situations where you'd need that. And so that might backfire early on if a guy like Trevor Rosenthal isn't ready for that type of role, but I don't really see that he has any better options. I, I mean, Brett Cecil could be that guy, but he's struggled in spring. He's struggled so far this year. Uh, Kevin Segrist is another possible option, but I, his command kind of comes and goes too, so it's just tough to – it's a tough situation. The bullpen beginning of the year really seemed like a strength, but through a week it's just hard to figure out who you can trust early on. I do think – all that said, I do think over the course of the season a lot of these guys will will settle in. I, I don't think it will take too long before Cecil's showing, you know, why the Cardinals paid him $30 million. Um, and Rosenthal, I hope, gets back to form. And so we'll, – We'll kind of see how it goes. Until then, I think you just have to kind of play the hot hand. Um, trust O with the ninth inning for now. Um, occasionally, you know, with in the eighth inning when the heart of the order is coming up. But I wouldn't change too much just yet. Yeah, and that could be something that they wait to do until until down the road. And again, that's going to take both guys being healthy. Right. You mentioned Cecil and Seegers both could be those guys in high leverage in late innings, both both of those guys lefties that we mentioned. So, Also, though, they've both struggled early in the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out and, and which guys Mike Matheny will be able to trust when you get into the, the stretch run of the season. Of course, it's a weekend. Uh, we're going to have to say that like it's like obligatory. Only six games have been played. You mentioned that like a station ID every two minutes of the podcast. But it's true that it hasn't been that long. So... We'll have to wait and see on the bullpen, but something that I feel like it, it is already worth discussing uh, based on the way the narrative went in the offseason is defense. You, you could say that we're overplaying it by making such a big deal out of it so far, but here's kind of the argument I articulated in the piece I wrote for uh, my new website, theintrepidstl.com. And, and let me know if you agree with this mindset or not. I know a lot of people are up in arms about Matt Adams playing left field he's already made a few starts and gotten into a few games at the position that he really had never played before and was not familiar with at all until getting into a couple of games at the very end of spring training and didn't get to see any action his way until the very last game uh, I believe down in Florida before they made their way to Memphis and then Springfield so the idea that Matt Adams would be playing left field this often even considering an injury to a starter, which is what we've had in Stephen Piscotty being on the shelf for a couple of days here and there. He had the concussion situation that he then cleared, but then had a knee thing, as we heard from Mike Matheny, sliding into second base. That put him out for a couple of days of the starting lineup. And so Matt Adams was the guy, which I get that. If you have right-handed pitching on the mound, as the Reds did, you want to find a way to get the left-handed bat into the lineup. That's a defensible position. The reason I think a lot of people had a problem with it is because, A, you had Jose Martinez on the bench, a guy that had done nothing but really good things in spring training and then did a good job on opening night to get the double and ended up scoring the game-winning run. Hasn't really gotten much of a chance since then. 
but the other thing is just the narrative of the offseason that the expectation was the Cardinals would improve the defense and then focus on that in the lineups. And I just don't know how, with Matt Adams playing left field, you could make the argument that they've stuck to that, even though it's one week, but it just doesn't seem like they've stuck to that principle throughout the first week. Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the tough things is when Steven Piscotty went down, you have to do the best job you can with the pieces that are available to win the games. And, you know, obviously Mike Matheny must have thought that Matt Adams in left field was the best chance to win those games. My problem is, um, like you said, the, the narrative all, all offseason was on defense, and Tommy Pham was left off the, the opening day roster, which – I'm a big fan of Jose Martinez. I've talked about his swing change uh, on the Redbird Daily, so I think he can be a very capable uh, reserve outfielder, you know, the fourth guy. But he's probably not a defensive um, asset as much as Tommy Pham would be in left field. I think you know you see kind of the shift away from defense with the their hesitancy to commit to Colton Wong at second base. Um, what I really didn't like with, in this last game was you said the Reds had a right-handed pitcher on the mound, and Matheny in the offseason at the very end of spring training talked about platooning Colton Wong and Jed Jerko. If he's doing a platoon, Colton Wong should be playing every game against right-handed pitching. He's the Cardinals' best option against or best option defensively at second base, and comparing him to Jerko, they hit for about the same value against right-handed pitching. So Colton Wong, in that case, is you know very obviously the overall better player. He's a better base runner. Um, and instead, we saw Jed Jericho playing second base. Um, so I think, you know, I think there were questions all offseason as to whether Mike Matheny really bought into, you know, the narrative that him and John Mosaic were talking about. And we've seen that, you know, right away with his just hesitancy to commit to the guys that we really think have higher defensive upside. And as for Matt Adams in left field, when I saw it, when I first saw it, you know, announced in spring training that he was kind of shagging balls out on the backfields and like playing with it being a possibility. I really thought that I thought it was a good idea, but it's sort of I at first, I I agree with you there. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you feel this way. I'm interested to hear your reasoning. Right. And I thought it was a good idea because it doesn't hurt to have flexibility on your roster. And in spring especially, it did, doesn't hurt at all to try it. Like, the, the worst thing that happens is he blows a spring training play and nobody cares. And if ever there's a time to do it, if you ever want to make that, that, that change and, and see if he can do it, it's in spring training. Maybe they started a little bit earlier. I could see that argument. But I had no problem with them going ahead and giving him a shot. Right. And I didn't have a problem with that. I think that if they were really considering it as much as it appears like they are now, that he should have played every inning in left field from the time that they said this is going to be an option we're going to look at. And they didn't really do that. There was one game I think he was actually at first base with Jose Martinez in left field and Tommy Pham or Randall Grishik in right field. And so something like that, I wasn't really a fan. But back then, I really thought that it was just going to be for flexibility for injury depth, in worst-case scenario, if somebody, you know, if you have two starters get hurt and you need somebody to be able to put out in the outfield either in-game or to start a couple games here and there. But it turns out that 
you know, it seems like they think that Matt Adams is a better outfield option than Jose Martinez. And if that's the case, then they should have addressed that need in the offseason. There were plenty of free agents. There's still, I think, some free agents. There still are, exactly. Right. Where you can, a guy like uh, Angel Pagan would be perfectly adequate as a fourth outfielder if you didn't believe in Tommy Pham or if you didn't believe in Jose Martinez. We were kind of led to believe throughout spring when Jose Martinez kept hitting the ball like he did at the end of last year that they really considered him a viable option and that just hasn't translated to the regular season. Um, You know, Matt Adams so far has gotten 50% of the starts in left field. I guess tonight he's not out there, which is good. Um, So that'll drop to three out of seven. But it just, it doesn't make sense. Like you said, it, it, is just so at odds with what they told us all off season that it's really hard to see kind of where their motivation is and um, in having him out there and why they're so low on guys like Jose Martinez and Tommy Pham, who until you know very late in spring training we thought they were perfectly comfortable having those two battled out for the fourth spot. Right, and in fairness to Mike Matheny, he probably didn't expect. Stephen Piscotty to get clocked in the head trying to slide into home plate in the first series of the season or whatever, whenever that happened in game three or four. And so when you mentioned Matt Adams could be a guy that makes an occasional start here or there when somebody goes down, maybe that is their plan. But we just happened to see that so quickly and so early in the season. Uh, but I agree, too, with, with your other point that if you believed in Jose Martinez enough to have him on the roster – you should probably believe him in him enough to play him in that situation. But instead, Matt Adams got every opportunity, whereas Jose kind of rode the bench. And again, if, if Jose is not that guy, then you got to wonder why they didn't. And Tommy Pham is not that guy, which being completely honest, I didn't think Tommy Pham would be that guy. Just watching the way they used him down the stretch last season, which is to say sporadically and not at all. Um, you know, he struggled, had like 10 strikeouts in a row at some point or something really bad. But just looking at the way they utilized Fam, I figured Fam wouldn't even be in the organization at this point and that they would have to not only get an outfielder, whether it was Adam Eaton or Dexter Fowler, which it ended up being him, they would also have to make another move, trade for a guy like Dyson from the Royals, and he, he got shipped to Seattle, or, or sign a guy like you said, like Pagan or Ben Revere, to be the fourth outfielder because if you're going to go with that athletic mindset, wouldn't you want that athletic mindset to be still what you use if you're one of your top guys gets hurt? And my full theory on that is that they would have liked to have done that and they probably would have liked to traded Matt Adams in exchange for one of those guys. And if not in exchange for one, then just traded Matt Adams and in a separate deal, you know, whether they got a prospect or whatever it was for Matt Adams, Then in another deal, you bring on that type of outfielder. But I think what ended up happening is when you looked at the trade market for first baseman this offseason, there really was none. And guys like Brandon Moss were having to wait till the bitter end just to get, you know, a decent one or two year contract with a team for for some reason. And I think it's something to do with the the maybe decline on the, the value of home runs in the mind of front offices and a lot more emphasis, just like the Cardinals have on defense. Those guys that fit that DH first baseman mold were just not really very attractive in the offseason. And so because they couldn't deal Matt Adams, but they knew he had some sort of value, 
that being John Mosaylock, I think Mo said, yeah, Adams is not a player we're going to give away for nothing just to clear a spot. And so I think his hand was kind of forced to say we're going to hang on to him. Uh, but that put the Cardinals in a little bit of a pickle with their, their backup outfielder spot, if that makes sense. It's kind of a long-winded explanation, but that's just kind of how I feel it probably broke down. Yeah, I guess I just – I feel like, you know, Jose Martinez obviously – had minor league options available. Tommy Pham, same thing, obviously, with him starting down in Memphis. And, you know, at the at, especially once you get into spring training, you see get, like veteran players sign on to minor league deals with very little guaranteed just to compete for a spot as a reserve. And so it, I think they could have had – they could have used um, those minor league options to be able to play with it a little bit. And if at the end of spring you decide a guy like – Angel Pagan isn't worth a roster spot, then you can you can kind of cut ties with him there with at very little cost. But I, I do agree that the market for first baseman offense first sluggers just wasn't there this offseason. You saw a guy like Adam Lind who had a really good year with the Brewers took forever to get a deal and then had to take a I think like three or six million a year over two years. And so that market wasn't really there. It seems like teams would rather either play a guy out of position like what you're, what the Rockies are playing to do with Ian Desmond um, or give a younger guy a shot. And part of that, I think, is with sort of the, the rebuilding movement, how the Cubs kind of tanked for a few years, the Astros did the same thing. It seems like teams would rather throw out a prospect and see how they handle major league pitching than pay for a guy who they kind of know what they're going to get but isn't going to be part of their long-term future. And so, you know, when it comes to a guy like Matt Adams, a team can give up even a, you know, a marginal prospect or two to get him, or they can keep their prospects, throw out their triple-A first base, and then see how he handles the taste of the MLB. And I, I think that's what a lot of teams are opting to do as opposed to, to paying on the free agent market for those one-dimensional guys. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Okay, so before we wrap things up here, I want to get to the starting offense because that's been the thing. That's been the reason, uh, if you ask me, that the Cardinals are 2-4. and four. All the other things we can talk about, uh, but if you don't hit, you don't score runs, you're not going to win very many games. So we can talk about Matt Carpenter or we can talk about Dexter Fowler. I'm still of the belief that both these guys are going to figure it out. Right now, Carpenter's hitting like 150 Dexter's hitting like 174. So neither of those numbers are very good. Neither of those guys, I believe, have even had an extra base hit as of yet. But I'm just going to go ahead and say we can brush over these guys for now because if they don't hit, the Cardinals are screwed anyway, so there's really no reason to talk about it. I want to get your take on the the guys that could potentially be batting four through eight. I mean, we're talking about Grichik. We're talking about Piscotti. We're talking about Peralta, Jerko. These guys where you've got really six or seven or eight guys that could potentially fit into that lineup, but we're, we're going to need to see the, the biggest improvement in their numbers and, and the, the biggest output offensively from whom. Who's that other guy that you think needs to step up to to complete this offense to be what you said you thought it could be at the start of the season? Because you bought into, I imagine, the on-base machine of one yeah. through three and then feeling like some of those other guys were going to be able to tack on. Sure, they'd be doing it in a different way, but still an effective way. Who's the, the guy, maybe one or two guys, that you think, not only not only do they have to do it, but you're confident still that they will be able to put together a pretty good season so that the Cardinals' offense can be okay? Uh, right. I think Stephen Piscotti is, he was the original um, guy 
guy I thought heading into the season. He was slotted to hit cleanup. He's been a consistent hitter over his last two years. Uh, last year, he kind of he had a rough second half, but even with a rough second half, he was still about a league average hitter over that period. So, you know, his slump was still pretty good. You don't find average MLB hitters everywhere. So even him slumping was pretty good. And so he's a guy that I think should bounce back once he's back in the lineup. And, you know, he had a slow spring, but I think he said he was working on trying to make some adjustments. And then he came out and got hit three times, rounding the bases, and once in the head. So I, I think when he gets the opportunity, he should – he'll respond. I think he'll be a good guy to consistently plug in that four spot. Um Yadier Molina is one that I think he'll have a pretty – he's been a consistent offensive player, you know, since he – over the last probably six or seven years since he first – you know, he struggled when he first came up but started to develop the bat later on. I kind of expect the same from him, so I wouldn't – he's done okay so far, so he's he's obviously not part of the problem. Um, a guy like Randall Grichik has a really high ceiling, and I think he's one that if the offense is going to be – one of the better ones in the National League. He's going to be a big guy hitting probably in, in towards the lower of the order, but somebody that can spark rallies at the bottom of the order so that the offense isn't totally dependent on Fowler, Diaz, and Carpenter to all have good games. Grichik's the guy that he's your best bet for you know a solo home run or any type of home run. He's going to strike out a lot. He's not going to walk a lot. His on-base percentage isn't going to be great. But at the bottom of the order, you need somebody that can drive runs in. And when he's on and when he's hot, he can he does that. And one thing this season, you know, his average right now is, I think, I'm looking at it, 217, I think. Yeah, 217. Like, that's not what, I, what we should expect from him over a season. But if he can get up just to 240 or 250 and have the slugging percentage that he's had the last couple of years – that's been about you know 200 or more points above his batting average. He's going to be an extra base threat at the bottom of the order. He's a guy that hopefully can steal a few bags here and there, but is a, one of the Cardinals' better base runners. So you know if he's hitting eighth or seventh or eighth, if he gets on base, it's easy for the pitcher to bunt him over. Um, although we did see that fail uh, in Carlos Martinez's last start. So I think between him, Grichik, and Piscotti, those are the two guys I would look at. You got to get decent production still out of somebody like Yadier Molina, um, out of Jed Jerko, and Johnny Peralta. Colton Wong, if he can you know, even be a league average hitter, that's going to be a big plus for him. If he can be league average, the Cardinals are going to be in great shape at second oh, yeah. base. Right. I mean, he, he just needs to be – I mean, when you talk about runs created plus or whatever you use, OPS plus, it, the closer he gets to the 90 range to 95 – if he's at a hundred, I mean, he's in my opinion, he's like an all-star. So, right, that would be that would be a huge boon for sure. Right, and that would be his best season offensively. Oh, so, yeah. I, if like you said, if he could be in the ninety to hundred range, that's you know you'll take that from Colt Wong with what he brings defensively. So, you know, if you can just get decent production out of those guys and then get Grichik and Piscotti to either get hot or to just take their production up another level. That should make the offense one of the better ones in the league, assuming, like we said, that Fowler, um, Diaz, and Carpenter all kind of produce at the level that we expect from them. And I think I think they will. They've all been taking good at bats. 
Uh, one thing that is a positive overall for the offense is that it seems like most of the guys are seeing the ball pretty well. Through we're dealing with a you know a small number of plate appearances, but guys are taking walks. Um, you know they, we don't have a lot of guys that are just out there swinging everything. Even a guy like Matt Adams has walked you know in 23 percent of his plate appearances so far, which is only like three out of 13 or something like that. Right. Remember obligatory small sample size. Right, but it's it's nice to see that these guys are still taking good at bats. It's we haven't seen it in the production, and like I mentioned a while back, um, we haven't seen it in the exit velocities. But it does seem like the approach at the plate is there, and it's just a matter of you know syncing up the timing, um, get getting you know a few hits in a row, stringing them together. Uh, I mean, there was one inning. The Cardinals hit three balls over 100 miles an hour, and all three of them were outs. And that, that's something I've watched, you know, quite a few games already this year. I haven't seen that at all, not just Cardinals games. So hopefully those start to find the grass and you can string a few together. And then by the end of the week, we won't be talking about the Cardinals offense being a problem. And I agree with you, I think. Still pretty early. Obviously, we spent 40 minutes talking about all the things with the Cardinals in a two and four week, we're not going to have a whole lot of great things to say because, you know, they're off to a little bit of a rough start, but I agree with you. I think that they're going to, uh, I still feel like they're going to turn it around and be in contention for a wild card. Uh, we'll, we'll get to see them in a pretty good test against the nationals over the next three nights. Uh, one of the, the better teams that we expect to be in contention in the national league East uh, you can follow Zach on Twitter at ZJ Gifford. That's Z-J-G-I-F-F-O-R-D. And I can see in your Twitter avatar photo there, you've got pretty short and well-tamed hair. I've got to ask you, have you gotten a haircut since the last time we've talked? Because I know it was getting a little wild. Uh, no, I actually posted a picture from an Indianapolis Indians game this weekend. And so you can find that in my media. And the hair is still, the hair is now very, very long. Um, the, I think the last haircut I got was like last May or June. I'm, I'm in my last year at college here, so I'm kind of riding it out as long as I can. This is uh, probably the last time I'll get to go try to go a full year without a haircut. So. Oh my gosh, I found the picture. You look like an absolute hippie. <laughs> I know. You look like uh, a hippie. Yeah. You look, and it's such a, it's not even fair either because when you look at the avatar, it's, it's such a lie. I mean, you know, I know. If, if, if my appearance changed so far from that, weird cartoon thing like if my hair changed that significantly that i have going on i'd have to do something about that you got to post a new picture I, I think you, you get you got to take the leap if you're going to become this this wild man with long hair i think you got to own it i i think i'm reverting back to the short hair relatively okay. soon so you're gonna, it, it'll you're wait it out then yeah it'll fit a little better soon i'm sure when i get to graduation in about a month here that if I try to, you know, do all those pictures, walk across the stage with this hair, and I don't think that'll make some immediate family members too thrilled. But we'll see how it goes. I, I want to ride it out. It, you know, it's <laughs> You're probably right. Okay, well, <laughs> thanks so much for joining me, Zach. Uh, we'll have to do this again here pretty soon. Uh, everybody, we're going to post this thing to the IntrepidSTL.com, so you'll already know uh, about the website and where to find it, but I encourage you to... Uh, head on over to the subscribe tab and subscribe to the website. All of our content posts will be doing uh, columns, stories, more podcasts, and some analysis coming your way at theintrepidstl.com. One more time, Zach Gifford. You can follow him on Twitter at ZJ Gifford. 
And I'm Brendan Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter at bschaefer12 if you don't already. We thank you guys for joining in. And until next time, this has been the Intrepid STL Podcast.